Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for the 8th day of June. I am your host, Paul White. Thanks for joining me as we are in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we have arrived at a verse that we read just quickly at the right near the end of the podcast yesterday, but I just didn't feel like... This, you're going to know what I mean very very soon, is that this verse can't be tacked on to the backside of a podcast. I'm not even sure we could do it justice if we spent the rest of the month of June on it. Listen to this verse. This is 1 Timothy 4.10. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Now, I think that if I did nothing more than talk about the labor and the suffering of reproach, uh, or the labor and the striving in in one of our earliest Greek translations, if I did nothing more than that, I'd have days' worth of material to talk about, Because the Apostle Paul talks about laboring and striving, and he doesn't talk about it in a negative light. And so much of what we hear in regards to labor and striving, we're we're hearing in a negative light because, rightfully so, so many of us are pushing back against those who used labor and striving as a means to corral people's obedience, to get their money, to get their loyalty. They used laboring and striving like carrot in front of a donkey to get people to move forward, to help build ministries, to help build churches, to validate stuff. They used labor and striving as the key to getting into God's good graces and into favor and into heaven and receiving forgiveness and being righteous and being anointed. And all of those things. And because they used labor and striving that way for so long, and so many of us used labor and striving as markers of our spiritual identity, we have pushed back hard against labor and striving at all. And pushed so hard that any talk of labor or striving smacks of legalism and performance to us so much that many of us have wanted nothing to do with any teaching or preaching or instruction on labor and striving. Well, that is to be understood, considering where many of us come from, considering the kinds of environments we were raised in or that we came up and grew in spiritually. It's understandable that our backlash against labor and strife would be what it is. But that does not mean that it's entirely appropriate. Just because it's understandable doesn't mean that we have to stay there. And I think we're entering a season where we need some renewal of this kind of word, this 10th verse. We both labor and we suffer reproach because we trust the living God. I don't labor so that I can go meet him. I don't labor so that I can be a part of his family. I labor because I trust him. Now, as I said before, we could spend probably the rest of June on the 10th verse. And and really the reason is not this laboring and striving. I'm going to spend today on that, but you know the reason. The reason is that amazing phrase at the end that he's the savior of all men, especially those who believe. And I want to work on that for a few days, but I'll save it for tomorrow because I think this idea of labor and striving or labor and suffering reproach is a part of the first century Christian experience that in some ways we think only belonged 
to the first century Christian experience. I know I've said many times, oh, well, we don't really understand persecution because we don't face what, say, the Apostle Paul faced or what Peter and James and John faced. These guys faced real persecution, and I think we're right, but that's also... um, a denigration of all of the shame that people have had to endure that didn't end up getting their heads chopped off or sewn asunder or stabbed through or killed in an arena. Just because we don't end in the exact same fate doesn't mean it isn't some form of shame or condemnation or persecution or oppression or suffering. Instead of trying to stack up ours versus theirs or vice versa, maybe a better place to land is to see that reproach or suffering or working is not to be considered um, a. It's not to be considered the way to heaven. That's not taught anywhere in the New Testament. B. It's not to be uh, considered the way to favor and anointing. And we could do C, D, E, F, and it'd be all the stuff we open talking about. But but even more so that we could look at those things as marks, um, a mark that we have been. And this is the way the New Testament Church wrote it: that we've been counted worthy. Paul said that to the Romans, that we've been counted worthy to suffer reproach. So they were going through it anyway, so they decided to look at it as if going through it was a a mark that they were considered capable of handling it. And I think it's easy to look at that and say, oh, well, all they were doing was trying to come up with a way to endure their suffering. And my response to that would be, and what's so bad about that? I mean, if life is suffering in one way or the other, and I think that it is, I think if you're not suffering now, you probably will. Probably is not even right. You're going to lose someone, you're going to lose something, and you're going to suffer for it. I'm not prophesying bad on you. I'm telling you what you already intrinsically know. How then do we deal with that? Well, learning to deal with that, if you're going to suffer anyway, wouldn't it be worthwhile to suffer with meaning. If you're going to have to labor, wouldn't it be worthwhile to labor with meaning? Can you imagine laboring with no meaning? Laboring with no one to bring the paycheck home for or to support or to help? Laboring with no hope of a check? Laboring with no... Can you imagine suffering with no good cause for suffering? And you might say, well, that's me. I suffer and I see no good cause. Then the encouragement is to find good cause. And what the early church did was say... Some of this, there's no good cause for. So we're going to say that we've been counted worthy to suffer, that we get to suffer because our hero suffered. And then they start to see Jesus, the suffering Savior, and say to themselves, well, if he suffered, then we suffer. And if he suffered and we get to suffer, then we must be counted in the same realm he's counted. And I can't think of a better place to be counted. And... I don't I, I I can't say for sure how Paul and Peter and James and John treated every moment of their suffering and their turmoil in 